Rising Champions, a podcast about the mental side of sports, featuring inspirational interviews with young rising athletes about their quest to win their personal championships. Hosted by Dr. Jason Novetsky of Champion Mindset Group, alongside radio personality Kyle Bogie. Here we are, another exciting episode of the Rising Champions podcast here uh, as a part of the Champion Mindset Group. I, of course, am Kyle Bogey. We also have Dr. Jason Davetsky, uh riding shotgun as usual. Doc, uh, how are you? I'm good. Good to see everybody. Of course. Fantastic. And we're going to do things a little bit differently on this episode. We are just going to actually uh, go ahead and, and welcome in our very special guest this evening, uh, a man who is actually having a documentary made about him. He's also the head coach, uh, head baseball coach at Carnegie Mellon University, has also done a bunch of television, uh, has an illustrious history in the boxing community, Mr. Claudio Relsano. Claudio, appreciate you joining us tonight on the Rising Champions podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. It's definitely my honor. Thank you. Now, we were chatting a little bit uh, just prior to getting this thing underway, and you pointed to a plaque in the background there, one of what seems to be like a hundred different plaques that are, that are hanging on your wall. I'm, I'm a little jealous. I got to be honest, but uh, also trophies on the floor too. But that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and crud, maybe we can move the camera by the end of the uh, the interview. I don't know, but you pointed to one specifically up there uh, in the corner. What? Which one are you pointing to? And I guess what's the story behind that? That was the 1977. That was the first time they gave awards uh, in my little league. Um, I was uh, 12. And uh, Little League, so my, my old uh, Quaker Valley High School, or Quaker Valley Baseball, Little League Baseball. And I remember when they gave that to us, and I wasn't expecting that. And I, I couldn't wait to give it to my parents, you know. We had it up on the wall for years, and thankfully I've able, been able to accumulate a few more. But that's kind of my first, uh, my favorite one. That's awesome. Coach, yeah, we are – oh, go ahead, Kyle. I'm no, sorry. Please, cut you no, off. please. Well, ahead. we're excited to have you on because, you know, you reached out to us. You got this great book coming out, this movie being made about your career. Uh, we got to hear a little bit of the story uh, of your life trajectory from playing baseball to coaching to developing some leadership materials and getting involved in the boxing world, which is kind of a sidestep from baseball. I'm not sure how that, that all went down, but I'm excited to hear and learn all about the, this history. Well, you know, my parents were born in Italy, and they were big boxing fans and soccer fans. So that's all I was introduced to. I, I didn't know anything about baseball, zero, other than Roberto Clemente's passing in 72. So my uncle used to work at Three River Stadium, and uh, that, Three River Stadium is where the Pirates and Steelers used to play, where he worked in a place called the Allegheny Club, which was basically a country club slash restaurant um, inside the stadium where you can watch the ball game and have dinner and so on and so forth. Well, he took me to a game August 19th, 1973. Um, that day, so we, we, we drove and I've seen this big building and I never seen anything so big in my life. I thought my house was the biggest building in the world, right? And I never really left my hometown and I saw this big building and something started to happen to me. And as we get closer, we pull into the parking lot and then we go into the, the doors, we go to the elevator to the Allegheny Club, and it opens up, and I can still smell that scent to this day. And, and that was, what, 47 years ago, if my math is right. Then we, we get to the elevator, and all these pictures of all these athletes, football players, baseball players, the only one I recognized was Clemente. And we walked around, then he took me down to the locker rooms. And I seen all these big guys wearing white uniforms and, and this mustard looking hat, joking around, playing around, saying hello to me. 
and I didn't know who they were. I just saw, you know, it said pirates and, and their uniform numbers, right? Then I kind of snuck out and I went onto the field oh. up this little ramp. And there was what, about a 58,000 seat, 58, yeah, 58,000 seat uh, stadium. And the only people who were on that field were myself and the grounds crew, but they were way out in left field. So I just stared and looked, and I still remember it like it was yesterday. And I, that big scoreboard, and the, the yellow seats, the red seats, the orange seats, and something was going on, you know, and I was just mesmerized. I had like toothpicks in my eyes, and this was before the game even started. Now, you got to remember, I had never watched the game before because if the Pirates were preempting gun smoke, my dad would be upset, you know. So I never watched baseball. So I remember on the way home, it was about a 20-minute drive, and a matter of fact, I live in the same house that I grew up in. So about 10 feet from me, I walked into the door and my dad said, did you have a good time? I said, I did, but I know what I want to do with the rest of my life. And he said, well, what's that? I said, I want to be in professional baseball. And he, he looked at me guys and he put his hand, I was eight, put his hand on my shoulder and he said, okay, if that's what you want to do, me and your mom will do everything we can to give you every opportunity to make your dreams come true. And he gave me a hug. And my mom said, as long as you're a good boy and you do good in school and, and you don't get hurt, she said, we'll support you. And I'm going to tell you something. You know, we talk about these awards and everything. I can guarantee you, promise you, that if it wasn't for my parents, I would have done nothing because uh, I was fortunate enough to win an award, that one, <laughs> a couple of years ago. And the first thing I said was, if you ever see a turtle on top of a fence post, you know he didn't get there alone. And uh, <laughs> without, without my parents, you know, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people. As I thank sure. God, I thank the people who hired me over the years, and my players, of course, but my and my my wife and my daughter. But my my parents gave me that shot, and I'll never forget that for sure. It's so important because your parents, then, even at that young age, validated something you really wanted to do. And it reminds me, uh, Kyle. I don't know if you've heard yet, or Coach, you've heard that Matthew McConaughey just came out with a book called Green Lights, and he tells a story about when he decided he wasn't going to go to law school and he told his dad he wanted to go into acting and he expected a bad response. And his dad says, are you sure that's what you want to do? And he says, yeah, I'm sure that's what I want to do. And you know what his dad told him? He said, don't half-ass it. <laughs> right? So he just gave him that responsibility and that validation. Like, hey, if you're going to do it, go all in. I think that's what my parents saw. I mean, obviously that day, but none of us knew if I had any talent in the game or not. So, but then when they saw the passion that I had for it, and for, for watching on TV and going in the backyard and playing or, or going upstairs in the room and throwing a ball against the wall or, or hitting. I still have like scuff marks, if that's what I call them. I would get an old cigarette lighter, uh, you know, in the cars and I'd, I'd tape it and I'd, I'd throw it up here and I'd hit it and I'd switch hit. I learned how to switch hit from hitting that. My dad used to have a landscaping business. I used to switch hit and I used to hit apples, right, <laughs> at, at these tree, apple trees. But um, that's all I was so funnel visioned. Uh, tunnel vision, I should say. And uh, my parents saw that and they backed me even when I was older and things weren't going so well. Uh, they always, hey, you keep at it. You keep at it. And uh, thankfully things went the way they did. Well, Claudio, that's fascinating. I mean, I, you know, to me, uh, you know, very early on, I was uh, dead set, I guess, at the age of, of 19. I said, okay, I'm going into broadcasting. I'm going to figure this out. I got to do this. I know there's a small percentage of people, you know, where it actually works out for. And you know, to your point, and, and Doc, what you were saying as well, you know, I, I had to sit down with my parents. I remember I was, you know, 20, 21, maybe at this time. And, you know, I told them, 
guys, it, it might be rough for a few years. You know, I, I might not make, uh, you know, a whole lot of money. I, I, I might need your help, you know, and, and please be patient with me. But, you know, I, I think I can have success. I can do this. And, uh, you know, my parents were incredibly supportive. And that's just to have a supporting cast like that, you know, for, you know, a few years and, you know, growing up and all that, it's, it's, it really is unbelievable. And it motivates you because you want to make them proud. You, you want to go ahead and prove yourself right almost and make sure that the investment that they make in you and the belief that they have in you ultimately pays off. So I, I, I find that fascinating, Claudio. And it's very true. And, and the other side of it too is as supportive as my mom and dad were, and they were incredibly supportive. Um, I had some, some family members, for the lack of a better term, that were not so supportive. They were, they were just always, always, always getting on me. I um, had those too, yeah. <laughs> but you know what? They were just as important as my parents. You know, and they always used to have those lines, time to quit baseball, grow up and be a man, get a real job. You're going to be a bust. Uh, it's a pipe dream. Be realistic. And this was over and over and over again. And uh, without hogging things up, I, the original goal was to play. And I had three tryouts. The first two, I was, I was hurt a little bit. The third was I was completely healthy. And I had trained. My dad would hit me balls, fly balls. I'd go to the batting cage and hit, hit, hit. I'd go to my old elementary school, I would get some pebbles and throw it on the asphalt and get on the crossball, which is extremely bouncy, throw it against the wall, work on my reflexes, um, run with ankle weights. I, could, I was always a very good hitter. I went to, I, I ran, I went to the uh, tryout, and they, they tied me in the 60. And I will never forget this. This was in 87, um, and I was getting a little long in the tooth. I had to make it then or it was over. So I was running the 60, and I could actually see my hands going like this. And I was like, I mean, it was like the chariots of fire going slow motion. You know? <laughs> and and I, it was like, did they make this an 80-yard dash? So I said, I didn't even want to know what the time was. I, they, scouts usually went 7-0 and under. I always ran 6-9, 8-7-0, which was good enough because I, I, had, I had a great arm and I could hit. So that was good. So then I said, okay, I'll make it up with my arm. So I, I also played multiple positions, but they put me in right field. So, okay, fine. They put all the outfields in right field. So I, I got some, got a ball and I threw it to third base. Two hops. And I'll never forget, guys. I went like this. I started shaking my arm because I never did two hops. It was always at one hop at the most. Okay. Then I said, okay, I, I, you know, get my arm loose a little bit. They throw me another one. I throw it again, three bounces. And then the, the third throw, I think it's still rolling. <laughs> And that was, uh, what, 33 years ago. But the thing is, I did so poorly that I didn't even hit. They didn't even let me hit. They, they said, see you later. Yeah. I sat in the outfield with my legs crossed. And I, I was smiling. But I wasn't happy. I don't know why I was smiling. But I remember saying, what am I going to do? How am I going to tell my parents that I didn't make it? Right. And then, then those other two clowns that were always on my back, now, now what? You know, and – um, but then I had already started coaching. Um, so I already put five years in as a volunteer assistant coach, but for two weeks I was lost. What am I going to do with my life? What am I going to, cause I put all that, those eggs in one basket. Right. And, um, I was going to school and my dad had a landscaping business, but that's not what we wanted. So, um, then I, my old, my high school head coach, Rich Wozniacki said, or he got into a car accident. Um, and he, he was fine, but he couldn't coach that year. So I moved in to be the head coach at age 23, wow. and the rest is history. So right. everybody starts from a different point of view. Yeah, of course, I yeah. 
got in that wreck, I told her. <laughs> well, no, that, that's, that really is fascinating. I mean, you know, I, I remember, um, you know, for me, I had to choose between baseball and a few other sports, and I retired uh, from hardball after the second grade season, I got to tell you, Claudio. And uh, I don't know that my father has ever forgiven me for, uh, you know, not choosing baseball, but fortunately my younger brother did. He went on to play a little bit of, you know, small college baseball and all that. So I think uh, he's the favorite at this point, the youngest, but, you know, that's fascinating to me. And I, I guess I always wonder how athletes take what they've learned, the mentality that they've had, and being able to transition that into being a coach, into being a mentor, into essentially impressing upon the mentality that you had and you grew up with into younger people and wanting to coach it, I guess. Was that a tough transition for you? From player to coach? Yeah. No, not really. Um, not really. I mean, I, it was sad that it was over. I mean, my size didn't, hurt, uh, didn't help me. I, I'm five, six and a half, I guess. Um, but once I made that transition, once I let that go and I, I was head coach, I really caught the bug and really liked it a lot. Loved it a lot. was very passionate about it. And, and um, uh, so, no, it, it wasn't hard. Um, I had always – Chuck Knox is a former L.A. Rams coach and Seattle Seahawks, Buffalo Bills. He was like an uncle to me. He was friends with my dad, and he used to come to the house every summer. So we lived and died with whatever team he was coaching. So – and I always, you know, looked up to him, obviously, and he was a coach. And there was other coaches. Jim Valvano became a friend. He was a uh, – had major impact in my life. He was a coach. So um, I, so making that transition, that's a good question. It wasn't, wasn't hard for me at all. I've never been asked that question, but it wasn't hard. You know, coach, what I'm interested in, you know, as you, cause you coach been coaching a long time. Okay. And so you've seen the evolution of the player, so to speak. And I, and I know this is probably a topic that comes up on your, your podcast and, and things you do and speaking and coaching others. And, and as a former division one baseball player and as a coach myself, and now as a sports psychologist, I see a difference in, in us. And I see a difference in our kids that, that we're coaching. And, and I'm not a millennial basher by any means uh, and anything like that, but I think they've grown up in a different society. Okay. They've grown up in the society of instant gratification social media, ESPN top tens. They only see the final product on TV. And kids, in my opinion, feel like if they're not successful right away, they're a failure and they quit. Right. And so I'm just curious, you know, in your evolution as a coach, what have you seen and, and how are you dealing with that now? Because you started way back when, and now you're still coaching. So you've had to evolve yourself as a coach, I would imagine. Another great question. And I got to be honest with you, I've been, I must, I must be incredibly lucky because I started in 83, okay, coaching guys that I was friends with that after the game of practice, we'd go to dinner because yeah. we were, we grew up together. And then now um, at age 56, I just turned 56 a couple of weeks ago, but I got to be honest with you, I have never had, if I have had it, I really have to think about a player who didn't care about our team. That's what, that's my main rule. Care about our team and don't disrespect me. But, but having said that, not that I think about it, um, there, there's that saying that the game has passed coaches by. I don't necessarily, I don't know if the game passes coaches by or the people pass people by. Okay. For example, and, and maybe this will answer your question. And, and this is a story that I have in the book. Um, we had practice one time and this, one of my best players, he was a great kid, always worked hard, was not, he was there, but he wasn't there. Okay. So I went up to him. I said, Billy, what's the matter? So I coach him having problems with my girlfriend. I said, well, go take care of it. 
And it is, what are you talking about? He said, no, no. He said, yeah, I will after practice. I said, go now because you're not doing anything here. You're here, but you're not here. And he flew off. He took off. But he was so appreciative of that that he gave me even more than he gave before. And this kid used to go through a wall for me. But I don't know, and I'm not patting myself on the back here, but I don't know if a coach in the 70s or 60s or 40s would have done that. Okay. Rub some dirt on it. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, years ago, you weren't allowed to drink water at football practice. Remember that? Or um, uh, I'm older than you guys, but you weren't allowed to drink water at at football practice. Now everybody's got a water in their pocket pretty much, right? Um, Or, you know, these guys, it's too hot. So they they, they want want to take a few plays off. Um, I remember – in 1982, I slid in the home plate and I busted it. I fractured my shin, a little fracture, but it was killing me. So the doctor said, it was my senior year. He said, you're going to be out for the rest of the year. I said, I can't do that. This is my senior year. I got to play. I said, I'll take off one week and then I'll play. So my coach, Rich Wozniak, comes to my house with a friend of his. He checks on me. He said, well, you'll be okay for tomorrow. I said, coach, I can't walk. I can't put any pressure on this. But I'm playing, you know, maybe Friday or next. So he's no, you're playing tomorrow. He said, Coach, I can't walk. And plus, if I, if a ball hits me in the shit, I'm going to be really in pain. He said, We'll get you a shot, a, a soccer, a, a soccer, <laughs> a shin guard, shin guard, yeah, <laughs> shin guard. Say that quick, soccer shin guard. And <laughs> you know what? I still have that soccer shin guard. I played. I got three hits, and I may have stolen a base. But so my my point is, I I will answer that even better. Um, you have to be a little lenient, okay? Chuck Daly, the former Detroit Pistons coach, the Hall of Famer, they asked him, how was he able to coach such a, you know, eclectic, crazy group of guys, John, uh, John Sally, Isaiah Thomas, Dennis Rodman, um, you know, then he had quiet guys like uh, Joe, Joe Dumars, Dumars yeah. right? Bill Lambeer. How could you coach those guys? He said, very simple. Poor hearing, lousy memory, and bad eyesight. <laughs> so, Sometimes I try not to see everything and you know what? It works, but I've been lucky because you know, the, the thing in real estate, what do they say? The three most important things in real estate are what good location, good location, good location. The three most important things in, in business and life and sports are good people, good people, good people. If you have good people, it makes your job as a leader so much easier. And I've really had great guys to, to coach. And, and in the back of the book, um, the first part of the book are stories that some, some tough things that have happened to me. And some mistakes I've made in the middle of the book are a bunch of Q and A's that uh, I've received over the years, questions I've received over the years. And at the end of the book is uh, players testimonials about 25 players from 1988, my first year as a head coach to present. And really at the end of the day, doctor, if you treat people good, be it in the twenties and the forties present they're if they're good people, they're going to reciprocate. They're going to go through the wall over it, underneath it, or side it. But I do understand what you're saying, and you see it in, in professional sports, some of the attitudes, and, you know, I am not crazy about that at all, um, at all. Uh, but, and, and not to talk too much about this, but I was fortunate enough to be invited to the 1979 uh, Pittsburgh Pirates uh, Championship Reunion, World Series Reunion, last July. And those guys still have it. They, and they still have passion, and they still have that thing about them that they think they can go out there and still play. Hmm. And then you see the players, the Pirates today, you know, they're making 10 times what those guys made. They're not winning, of course, but nonetheless, but they don't have that, that passion. They don't have that zest for the game. 
or, or it doesn't seem like for life. Those guys had fun. Then the We Are Family song and so on and so forth. These guys here, if there was a song called We Are Strangers, they would have used that for the theme song. You know, it's just different, different, uh, different times, I guess. See, it, yeah. it, it's interesting too, you know, that we, we talk about that because I, you know, and this is just something I thought of as you were, you were talking as well. It's almost as if nowadays there's the excuse is okay. And, and that's not to say that, you know, people aren't injured. It's not to say that no one's in pain. It's not to say that you couldn't do further damage, but now you have the excuse of, well, you know, look, the medical experts are telling me I, I shouldn't do this. I can't do this. It, it, whereas before there were things I think that you could learn and a mental toughness, I think that you could break through if you just said, you know what? I, okay. I might have the flu. I'm going to play through this game. I might've separated my shoulder. I'm going to go back into the game. Those are things. And, and I was on the fringe end of, I think that era, I was lucky enough to, to just be old enough to be there that I think are so invaluable to be able to learn how you can test your mind and test your body to the, to the full limit. And, and not only that, but life is tough. Life is tough. And when you said that, uh, my mom, who I adored my mom, unfortunately she passed when she was only 48, but um, she was everything to me. And she was crazy about me. She absolutely loved me more than anything. But I remember in eighth grade, I think it was, uh, I didn't finish my homework and we had a test and I said, oh, man, I'm going to bomb this test. So I told him, I'm not feeling good. No. Yeah. I, I think I did this a couple of times. Maybe this time I was feeling not well. But anyway, I said, I'm, I'm not feeling well at all. So I'll never forget. She, she, I was in bed still and she gave me a kiss and she hugged me and she said, I'm so sorry, honey. Um, she said, but yeah, you're going to go to school. I said, I'm dying here. I don't feel good. She said, that's okay. You can die at school. You're going to go to school. She did not want me to miss school. And but or, or my dad, my dad had been through a lot in his life and, and a lot of things in his life, but he was knocked down six times, but he got up seven, you know, and I don't know if people are being geared, if that's the proper term or taught or coached that way. Now, my daughter's 19 and I adore my daughter. She's everything to me. But, um, you know, sometimes you kind of have to. Uh, you know, like last year, okay, she was, she was, she wanted to get accepted. Uh, she, she got accepted to pit. Her goal was to, to be in the color guard. She was going crazy about the color guard. Then I saw her, she wasn't practicing that much. Mm. And I said, uh, when's practice? She said about two weeks. I said, you haven't touched a flag or anything in two weeks. You were good in high school. This would be a different level. And I got on her pretty good about it. And, and I, I mean, really good. And well, she, she worked, she made the team and she's matter of fact, today she just got a, an honor. She's got a scholarship, uh, for, for the, uh, color guard. Congratulations. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very happy about it. Trust me. <laughs> so coach, I want to, I want to touch on the kind of the theme of the book and, and you mentioned it's a leadership, you know, from the heart up. And, um, I'm really curious how you're utilizing, you know, your experiences in the book and also how that translates to you coaching your players on the field in terms of helping your players be successful and significant and ways that you, you know, establish trust and use your passion and really take perspectives of the players, especially these days and teach them how to prepare and show leadership. I'm really curious how those themes are going to uh, come across in the book and with you on the field. Well, the, the title of the book is lead from the heart up, not the neck up. My mom used to say, never speak from the neck up. Always speak from the heart up. In other words, be passionate, care about what you're doing and saying, and mean it. 
Okay, so I, I just turn that over to, to lead from the heart out because I do. My players know who I am. They know the tough things I've had happen to me in my life. Um, I'm emotional with them. They know that I care for them. I show them that I care for them. And, um, and I can give you stories if you want that are in the book. But um, by showing them how much I care for them, not just as players, but as people. Okay, because I've had some coaches didn't care about the players unless they were hitting 300, right? Nobody can ever say that about me. It was always them first as a person. Um, and, and, and I was blown away by some of the testimonials that they gave me. And they said that. They said, Coach, care for me as a person. He, he's got me internships, jobs, or we talk about stocks, and we talk about money and how to invest it and so on and so forth, or just how to be a better person. Because they're only going to be able to hit a fastball for so long. If right. that's all that I teach them, then you know what? I didn't do my job. Yeah. So, And I'm still very – one of my best friends – is a kid that I coached back in uh, 1988. He was a senior and I was a 23-year-old head coach. And um, I've been Paul Barron to, you know, for his dad, unfortunately, he was Paul Barron to my dad. I've been his wedding. He's been in my wedding. We're the best of friends. Now, how did that happen? Um, it kind of happened organically. I mean, it isn't like I pressed it or tried. It just kind of happened. Well, um, I mean, I think you probably, you, you decided on a certain kind of philosophy at some point, or you were coached a certain way as well, and you raised a certain way, and, and then you take right. that, yeah, and you were raised that way, and you take it on the field, and there's that old saying that, you know, it doesn't matter what you know, as long as the kids know you care about them, right? And yeah, that's what I, that's one of the, that's the theme of the book that I have in the book. I say that. I mean, at the title of the book, but then I say basically, and that's great that you said that, Doctor, and it, it, they won't care how much you know till they know how much you care. Right. You know, and then once they know you care, as I keep saying, they will go through a wall for you. Yep. And, and, um, and I've been so lucky to have classy people to coach. And, and one quick story, it was on my birthday several years ago. More, more, more than that was about 2008 or nine. If we win this game, it was the all time wins market CMU. Right. And I wanted this team to get it, not me, them because they were great guys and they worked their tail off. CMU had had 40 plus years of losing, something like that, right? But anyway, so I heard them saying, hey, we got to win this game for coach because it's his birthday. Okay, well, I appreciate that, but let's, so anyway, we're down 8 nothing. Hmm. Then they make this big comeback. They chip away and then they tie it up in the last inning. So I had, we have a runner at second base, he got this big hit, we tie the game up, 8-8. Eight, eight. And I said to my, I have something that a coach doesn't have time to do. You guys know this. And that's think. You can think of all the scenarios. So here I am, very calm. Okay, if we, I tell my runner, if it goes to left field, the left fielder has, they're going to play up, but he has no arm and the ball is going to be wet. We're going to send you because you're going to get a good jump. The center fielder, ball is going to be wet. He has no arm whatsoever. I'm going to send you. But if it goes to right field, no matter what, I'm not sending you at all. You got me. Yeah, coach, I got it. I'm going to hold you up because we got our number one, two, and three hitters coming up. Great. I'm all ready to go. We're all set. Well, where did the ball go? Right, right field. <laughs> what, did I, what did I do? Sent him. I said, <laughs> he was out by so much that the catcher caught the ball and he had to go get the runner. <laughs> I'm not kidding. So I'll never forget, I'm going towards third base, uh, third base dug, our dugout. And I just told the guys, hey, I'm sorry. I messed this up. Get me out of this is my exact words. Get me. He said, don't worry, coach. We'll get him. Don't worry. We'll get him. Okay. They, they may have been mad, but they didn't show. Don't worry, coach. We got yeah. him. We got him. You took ownership of it. Well, I did, but then we lost. So then what's, what's custom is at the end of the game, we go down the foul line and we have our post game. Sure. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I wore sunglasses when I coach. I, I walked on there and I, I'm, I put my head down and, and my tears are falling in the glasses. I'm crying. And I'm not ashamed to tell you that. I told the guys and I was choked up. I said, I'm sorry. I blew this game for you. You guys made this great comeback. And I don't know if it was my ego, my emotions, whatever it was, I lost this game for you. And you didn't deserve that. And I'm not looking at them. And all of a sudden, I hear my pitcher say, Coach, if I'd have pitched better, we'd have won. My catcher said, if I'd have gotten that hit with the bases loaded, we'd have won. My shortstop said, if I wouldn't have missed that ball, we'd have won. My point is, if I would have been bad with these kids, young men, if I would have hollered at them and punished instead of fix uh, or just embarrassed them, like a lot of coaches do, they're, they're hard with these guys. You know what Dennis said to me? Maybe not said it, but they'd have thought it good for him. He messed up now. Okay. Yeah. Good for him. Let him soak in it. But by being good to them, they're good to me. And if they're not that way, then you get rid of them. But I, I haven't had to do that. Well, I, I also think, too, and, you know, again, I, I'm going to make reference to, you know, the awards, the plaques, uh, you know, everything that's in your background. But, you know, everyone experiences failure. And, you know, as much success, you know, as you have had in different walks of life and doc, uh, you know, you can certainly, you know, say the same thing. I, to a, a certain degree, you know, I guess can say the same thing as well you always end up thinking about the failures, the, the things that you wish you could do over what you learned from the heartbreak. I mean, those I, in my head right now, I could run through all of the things that are going through, you know, that, that I could, I just, I can immediately draw up and go, man, I wish I would have won. I, I wish I would have done that. And, and to me that those are the lessons in sports that you can carry over directly into life that are so unbelievably important, more important than winning a trophy to me. Without question. And you know what? If you don't have those, not that you want bad things to happen to you, not yeah, that you, yeah. right? But if they didn't happen, for example, um, it's kind of what you're talking about. Uh, one of, a very good friend of mine is a former five time world champion boxer. His name is Vinny Pazienza. Changed it to Vinny Paz. Anyway, after his second world title, about two weeks later in November of 91, he gets in a car accident. They just made a movie of his life a couple years ago, four years ago. Believe for this. Great movie. You got to watch it. But um, he gets into a car accident. He's paralyzed. And then they said, well, he's not going to walk again. Then he starts walking again. And they said, we're definitely not going to fight again. They put this halo on him. And they screw it in his head. Go on YouTube. You'll see Vinny Paz halo. And you'll see it's unbelievable. Well, he's training with this halo on. And he comes back and he wins three more world titles. So Vinny always says, there's a lot of guys who won world titles. But how many guys got into a car accident, paralyzed and what? So without the car accident, no movie. Right? Think yeah. about that. No car. He'd just been another boxer. But yeah, yeah I failed a bunch of times. And, and uh, in business, on the field, um, you know, and, and you do learn from them or they motivate you. Um, my mom, as I said, uh, October 8th, 1988, which was my dad's birthday. And also two years later, my, our team won a championship when I was head coach, but she passed away. And um, that was devastating to me. Devastating. Yeah. And I think what, what kids need to hear more and more is that it's okay to fail. Oh, it's, yeah. How are you going to respond to that failure? And I'm assuming that comes through loud and clear in your book. So coach, I'm curious, you know, what's the impact that you're looking for in this book that you're putting out that's coming out or it already is out? To be, you don't have to be a hard ass to be a leader. Mm. There it is right there. You don't have to be a tough guy. I've seen, you can be nice to your players. Um, you can, uh, you can be good to them. You can care for them. 
that's what it's all about. You and I've seen, and I've had players who I didn't play for, who I didn't coach, tell me, "Hey, like this one particular school, this one coach. If you lose two games in a row, he makes you run until somebody gets sick. Well, how is that going to make you not lose three games in a row, right? I mean, as I said, fix, don't punish. Um, so it, it basically, how I my formula or how I do things, and the formula works because you see these guys at the end of the book saying great things about me, okay? And, and they still contact me, and we, we're still close. So you can be nice. You can care. And during the games, real quick, several years ago, there was a World Series game. Some of my players couldn't watch it. I said, you can come to my house and watch it. About four guys came to my house to watch it. Then a coach called me. He wanted to talk about our upcoming game. He said, I'm sorry to bother you. You sound like you have company. I said, that's okay. It's four of my players. He said, that's a cardinal sin. I said, why is that? He said, now your players will never listen to you again. Why? Because I had them over my house for a game. Now, if they would have – now, this is one kid, James Langhauser. If I give him the steal signal, he's going to say, ah, I'm not going to listen to him. I went to his game the other, I went to his house the other day for a game. That's not who James is. And if he did do that – I would have landed on him. I would have been upset because I tell my guys, just because I'm kind doesn't mean I'm weak. Okay. Right. And, and if you're nice to them, they won't want to disappoint you. They won't try to walk on you. And if they do, you have to fix it. But the whole theme of the book is what you said is they won't care how much you know to how much you care. And you, you want, and I've been in situations where I've had to be at this, this one hitting facility or even that couple places I've coached, let's say at three o'clock, I look at my watch, damn, I got to go to practice. And I get there at two fifty nine. And I, did, I don't want my players to say, oh, man, I'm going to go see Claudia at practice. Nor do I want to say, oh, i got to go see Kyle at practice. Why can't we get along? And if there's a problem, let's communicate. But there's a bunch of stories in there to, to show what, what to do and what not to do. And, and then the end result, these players who are in their 20s or at the time, you know, 18, 19, 21, and, and they show emotion back and they, they do reciprocate. And that's what I want to get through to people. When you said the word impact, Jim Valvani used to say his favorite word in the English dictionary was word impact. And that always stuck with me. I want to have impact on people. Listening to you talk, it, it's funny because, and I'm just remembering to, to my days as an athlete and the coaches that I respected, you, you go from, as a young person, wanting to make sure that you're, you're pleasing the coach. You're, you're finishing in that certain time. You're showing up on time. You're performing. You're doing all this. And in turn, this like unagi moment inevitably ends up happening. And all of a sudden, you want to be on time to a dinner, a meeting, class, work, because you want to be on time for yourself. You know, and, and it takes a very long arc to realize that all of those years of, you know, being encouraged to be on time, being encouraged to do this, and wanting to please somebody else, you inevitably just want to please yourself. And, and I think that's really the big overarching lesson in all of it. It is Red Arbach, the former Boston Celtics coach and GM. Legend. Yeah, legend. Yeah. <laughs> People thought that he used to get on those players all the time. He said, no. He said, I treated them great because if I treat them great, they're going to they're gonna come on time. They're going to work even harder. Not that you go into it, well, if I do this, they'll do that. It's just generally, you asked earlier, doctor, uh, that's the way I was raised. Okay. Right. So I, that's, that's who I am. And then you mentioned, mm -hmm. Jason, uh, about being on time. Vince Lombardi used to say, being on time isn't being there on time. It's being 15 minutes early. And my guys, yeah. my guys know that it's being on time is like a half hour. Yeah. I got to tell you a quick story that was in the book about being on time. I had a young man who was always late. And I am, to your original question earlier, uh, doctor, about, you know, maybe bending with the times. 
I've had the bend with the times because the CMU is a very tough school scholastically, and I have to understand that they're up till three, four in the morning. Well, this kid was late every single day, practice, games, everything. I say, Chris, now that's it. I'm lenient, I'm understanding, but that's it. I can't have you be late anymore. He looked me dead in the eye. I said, Coach, I promise you, I give you my word. He shook my hand. I will never be late again. I said, okay. Yeah. So the next day we had to, we had to meet at the gym at eight o'clock to go to a, to go to a game. He's there at seven. He's there before me. Okay. He's dressed and he's ready to go. I said, thank you, Chris. So then guys start coming around, milling around. Then all of a sudden I see him with a, uh, a plaid shirt on, um, shorts and flip flops on a backpack. Well, I lose it. He's at the doorway and I lose it. I said, you promised me that you would do this. And then you come early. And then on top of that, you get undressed because you're trying to make me look like a fool. I don't like that. And I lit into him. This is my first year at CMU. I lit into him. I mean, I really got on him hard, right? He's about six foot four. I'm looking at him. And he's just staring at me, blank, right? Then I look to my left. There was that kid. He had an identical twin. Call it the right guy. Yeah. Well, well, Claudio, we uh, we really appreciate you uh, coming on here on the Rising Champions podcast. We look forward to to following you as you continue forward. Obviously, uh, you know the book and the uh, the documentary should be absolutely fantastic. We appreciate uh, your time, the conversation, and uh, you know again, we'll hopefully uh, chat with you here moving forward. Would love to, and I I can't thank you guys enough for giving me this opportunity. Thank you for listening to the Rising Champions podcast. Please subscribe and join us again next week for another episode.